Tēnā koutou i tēnei ahi ahi. These are your Radio 1, te reo iderangi kōtahi news headlines for Taite Ono a mei. Ko Quentin tēnei. OUSA has called upon New Zealand cricket to come out in support of India in the midst of their battle against a vicious second wave of COVID-19. This comes after the Indian Premier League cricket series was cancelled. New Zealand was set to play in the series, which saw 10 New Zealand cricketers residing in India for the duration of the competition. OUSA acknowledged that New Zealand and India share strong diplomatic ties through their shared love for cricket, and called upon New Zealand cricket to use their platform to raise awareness of the devastating resurgence of the COVID-19 virus in India, and to join Cricket Australia in their efforts to raise funds to procure and install oxygen generation plants in hospitals to treat patients by donating to the cause. India recorded 382,146 new cases of COVID-19 yesterday, with a seven-day rolling average of 381,124 new infections daily. This is only predicted to get worse before it gets better, with the Times of India reporting two weeks ago that the number of active cases was expected to peak between May 11th and May 15th. RNZ, however, reported yesterday that it was still too early to see if infections were slowing down. Bitcoin has been at the forefront of the media for a while now, with countless stories of people becoming millionaires from investing in cryptocurrency, or Elon Musk promoting it all over social media and now accepting it as payment for Teslas. But Bitcoin isn't free from criticism, however, with recent reports coming out of Cambridge University showing that Bitcoin mining consumes more power than the entire country of Argentina, or close to 1% of the total power output globally. Radio 1 spoke to Dr. Olivier Jutel, a lecturer at Otago University who specializes in Bitcoin and blockchain technology, and Campbell Miller, president of the Otago University Cryptocurrency Club, about Bitcoin, its role in society, and whether or not we can justify its power consumption. When asked what role they believed Bitcoin should play in society, Campbell Miller argued that Bitcoin is the future of currency. He believes that Bitcoin will help put the power back in the hands of people and free trade from the clutches of government regulation. Money has certain properties. As a market and as a people and as a human race, we can decide which properties are in our money. And a few hundred years ago, uh, governments put their hands on money and said, this is what money now is, and this is what it's going to be, and any form of other money is not money, and you'll go to prison if that's what you think money is if you're trying to avoid monetary policy, and that's to give them power of how much money supply there is and uh, fiscal and monetary policy. But essentially, Bitcoin is a way around that, and it is uh, a way for the free market to decide what should be in money, and that's because it has decentralization, uh, true decentralization, which means there's no one who controls Bitcoin. It's an opt-in system. Dr. Jutel, however, was less enthused, believing that this deregulation would just lead to further concentrations of power into the upper echelons of society. If I could, I would nuke it from space. Yeah. I mean, there is, my God, it is a ethical, environmental, economic catastrophe. Um, Just getting one's hands around why, in my opinion, um, at least, blockchain and Bitcoin are so nefarious. One, they naturalize the idea that um, we should have financial institutions not under any sort of like democratic 
governance, that it should be a kind of cyberspace wild west, um, and which has the effect of creating new unaccountable concentrations of power that make, I don't know, like that, that Jeff Bezos could only dream of. But is Bitcoin even usable? Given its price has increased to 128 times the price of Bitcoin five years ago, many argue it is too volatile to be used as a regular currency. Campbell Miller pointed out that the price of gold was once volatile too, and like Bitcoin appears to be, the price of gold progressively stabilised. So if you if you look at uh, the peaks and the bottoms of each market cycle, there is diminishing volatility uh, volatility over time, uh, and you know you're watching the pricing of a commodity in real time. That's never happened in history. Gold took thousands of years to oh, a shiny metal on the ground is actually worth has a ten trillion dollar market cap. Like how does that work? That's because they had so much time. Dr. Jutel argued that Bitcoin had never even served its basic function as money, and that Bitcoin is no more than a novelty. Bitcoin has and cryptocurrencies have never been uh, a real form of money. They do not perform the basic functions of money, which is, you know, you can exchange one Bitcoin for one Bitcoin. You can reliably use it. You know, I, I, every now and then, like sort of a novelty Bitcoin ATM pops up or the dark web allows you to like murder people or order pizza through cryptocurrency. According to Cambridge University's Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, Bitcoin mining currently consumes 142.59 terawatt hours of electricity annually. This is the equivalent of 0.65% of all electricity consumed globally, more power than is consumed by the entire country of Sweden, or enough energy to power all the kettles in the United Kingdom for 32 years. Only 26 countries in the world consume more power than Bitcoin mining annually. Dr. Jutel was horrified by this. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's an environmental, moral, ethical disaster. Campbell Miller pointed out the fact that our current financial institutions are also very resource-heavy anyway, and that Bitcoin mining is just more obvious in its environmental impact. You have to look at how much does the current banking system use, and how much does gold that scars the earth, that pillages the earth, and there's just craters left. There's gold. Is that a good use of power? So you can have arguments about all sorts of energy consumption across sectors, and Bitcoin essentially is just the free market deciding that this is how much energy we should use to compute uh, and solidify the Bitcoin network. The Dunedin City Council has kicked off its representation review, a consultation that they're required to do every six years to gauge what the public thinks of the structure of the council. The review asks members of the public if they're happy with the current number of councillors, and if not, how many councillors they want to see. It also looks at the role of community boards in the Dunedin region, and whether or not the number of these should be expanded or reduced. Currently, there are six community boards in Dunedin, Strathtairi, Waikawaiti Coast, West Harbour, Otago Peninsula, Mosgiel Tairi, and Saddle Hill. One suggestion put forward to Radio 1 was the potential for a North Dunedin community board. This was supported by a student spoken to by Radio 1, believing it meant more direct engagement with students and the council, and that student representation didn't lie solely within OUSA. There is also an option for people to submit feedback on the use of wards to elect councillors, rather than the at-large system that the Dunedin City Council uses at the moment. 
Such a system is implemented in the Waimakadedi district and ensures that council members are elected from across the district rather than just one area. Submissions into the review can be accessed via the Dunedin City Council website and close on May 28th. A recent study by Massey University found that 99% of tertiary students regularly consume caffeinated products such as tea, coffee and energy drinks. This compares with an estimated 73% of New Zealanders who consume caffeine daily. Of the 300 surveyed, 14% were consuming above the safe limit of caffeine each day, the equivalent of about 4 cups of coffee. 26% of those surveyed said that the side effects of caffeine caused distress or negatively impacted their social life. 77% of those who experienced side effects, however, said that they would continue to regularly consume caffeine. The researchers said that the substantial number of students reporting negative side effects from caffeine could signify a potential public health issue due to the possible health risks associated with large amounts of caffeine consumption. This morning, leaflets containing anti-vaccine propaganda were delivered to Castle Street letterboxes in North Dunedin. The pamphlets look very professional and contain large amounts of misinformation surrounding the COVID-19 vaccine, which is rolling out in Aotearoa at the moment. Marine Sciences lecturer Professor Abby Smith was concerned about how professional the leaflet looked and spoke out against the misinformation, stressing the need for New Zealanders to be vaccinated. Professor Smith said that to pretend that COVID-19 isn't dangerous is outrageously disrespectful to the horrific losses suffered by our brothers and sisters in India, Brazil, the UK, the USA and Sweden. She expressed the need to push the Ministry of Health to expedite the vaccination programme and for a terrific marketing campaign to ensure that students take up the vaccine. Professor Smith said that if we don't counteract this now and into the future, we will be very sorry. That was the news here on Radio 1 Te Reo Irerangi Kotahi 91FM. And now, the weather. The Radio 1 91FM weather. Cloudy with some light drizzle tonight. Southwest breezes dying out this evening. A high of 18 and a low of 9 degrees overnight. That's the weather here on Radio 1 Te Reo Irerangi Kotahi 91FM. May is New Zealand Music Month, and this week I had the pleasure of speaking with Otipoti's own Taylor Rose Tarikia. Taylor Rose is the former Tumuaki of Te Ropu Māori, but is also infamous for her Te Reo Māori covers of K-pop songs. Um, so, what was your inspiration for this music, and what bands do you cover? Cool, so... I pretty much cover any type of K-pop group, band, singer, um, that I enjoy. I I pretty much was inspired because I'm a huge K-pop fan and I was like, I wonder how K-pop would sound like in Te Reo Māori. Um, cool. So like a lot of the songs I covered were just songs I would just hum to myself and be like, oh, that would sound nice in Te Reo. Let me give it a go. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And it works, I feel. So. It works? So the, uh, is it difficult to do the translations? Uh, depends. Yeah. I... I try and and cover songs that sort of the deal comes naturally. I might hear a word mm-hmm. in Korean and it sounds similar to um, this phrase in Tadeo. So I try and pick songs that feel naturally mm-hmm. like I could words. Um, so you can align that meter quite nicely and it, it yeah. still flows properly. Yeah. So if it's, oh. if it's too hard, I'm like, maybe not this song. <laughs> yeah. not. How many songs have you done so far? I feel like maybe I 
ten or like a dozen. Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of them are still sitting in my like Google Drive, like untouched. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while to write them, so actually getting yeah. to the, the covering, like singing part, is a, takes a while. But how how long does each one take you to write? Would you guess? If I'm like super determined, <laughs> like within a day, I could finish a song easily. Oh, wow. Um, but sometimes if you know someone requests a song, I'm like oh Jesus, might take a weekend. Or <laughs> yeah. But so it really depends on on the the song and my mood. Yeah. Which is your favorite song that you've covered? I think I feel like the first song I ever did, which is Psycho by Red Velvet. Because that was sort of the first song that that got me into okay maybe I can do this maybe I can do this. <laughs> yeah. you know people would enjoy this because I checked this TikTok video up and people like of a snippet and people really enjoyed it I was like oh God, now I feel like I need to do the whole song so I feel like <laughs> that was my first full song and everyone sort of always brings it up with me then yeah Psycho is probably my favorite one. Cool. And which was the hardest that you've done and why was it difficult? I think the hardest one was BTS Dynamite. Yep. I'm sure everyone knows BTS and then they'll know Dynamite. And I found that hard because Dynamite, we don't have a Maori word for Dynamite. <laughs> we don't <laughs> right. have a lot of, yeah, like we don't have yep. those sort of words in today. So it was real tricky to try and find, okay, how do I make this sound natural but still keep to like, the words of the, the song which is how, how did you do that what did you substitute i think i i kept dynamite <laughs> the, the english <laughs> yeah. sort of worked around it so i said instead of like i said kanya kanya to dynamite like like light up the dynamite ah and yeah sort of like i had to work around what i couldn't change <laughs> i was like okay so i can't change <laughs> like dynamite because it's literally in today or tight it feels like dynamite Tainamata or Tainamichi, I was like, no, that doesn't sound nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sort of work around that to, to find a nice flow. So do you, do you do that quite regularly? Like what percentage of the song would you get translated into Tereo? I actually like, because Korean K-pop songs tend to have a lot of English in, in them. And I think they, they, they tend to be real iconic, like well-known parts of the song too. So I try and keep them in there. And, and so most of it's tedial with bits of English, but then sometimes like the English is really hard to work around. Like if you've got like word, word, English, word, word, English, and it's kind of just like really jarring. So sometimes I like scrap all the English. I'm just going to translate it in all in tedial. So I kind of work with, with the rhythm and flow of, the song, of each individual's Ooh. And when you're translating, do you go directly from Korean to Tereo, or do you kind of go translate Korean to English to Tereo? My process is like I'll have the Korean lyrics and then the English translations and then I have a column of like okay this is what I'm gonna translate it to in Tereo and I try and work with the translation but keep the phonetics like the sound similar to what it was in Korean so if the word was like I don't know love but in Korean it's sarang. Then I'm like, what sounds like sarang, but still can connect to the meaning, the original meaning. So it's it's really fun actually. It feels like an exercise. It's a bit of a puzzle. It the brain. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it makes I think I think people appreciate the similarity in, in the sound. So they're like, oh, it sounds just like the original song, and the meaning 
is there still the meaning there? So it's challenging, but I think putting the extra effort in makes makes it all the more richer.